0: Good morning. As uh, Steve mentioned, it is true today we are concluding our first Corinthian series. Uh, this is the 45th message on this study. Um, if time allows, I would love to ask you what you remember, how this series has been impactful to you. Um, I, I, I'm sure some of you were uh, deeply moved by some of the messages, the relevant messages, and a powerful word of God. And as um, as the pastor of this church, and as a person who actually teaches from this series, I am deeply, beyond my imagination, uh, grateful and impacted by this letter and as i mentioned it, it really feels like a paul's letter to californians and the day to day our experience is really um, in line with what paul has been addressing so here's my plan this morning remember that we were almost finished in verses nine, nineteen 19 through 24 is a mentioning of few names and greeting, but we will draw practical lessons on our spiritual life on our Christian life and ministry, but I want to keep it tight so that um, we could do a recap on the theme of the first Corinthians, especially in in our site uh, in our uh, definition or uh, perspective. We t- entitled this series "True Spirituality." What is really t- spiritual? What 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 does it look like when you are full of God's presence, and you are um, godly and mature? And there is uh, so many. Uh, there are so many misconceptions, misunderstandings even in our days. So that's why it became so relevant to study 1 Corinthians. So I want to do a kind of quick recap and apply on the lessons of true spirituality. But let's begin with verse 19. Paul greets, very uh, usual format in the other letters, um, He finishes his letters with greeting. But if you just glance over, we might miss very profound, uh, impactful truth, and even the intricate emotions behind that. There are three lessons that we're going to draw from. So instead of going uh, to the content and information, what he says, We want to come out in a different way. What lesson can we draw from? Verse 19 through 20. First lesson is partnership for Christ. Verse 19 says, The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings greetings in the lord all the brothers send you greetings the church in churches in asia he refers to is actually modern day turkey and even uh, through a, a new testament is a churches in ephesus and ephesus experienced spiritual awakening paul taught that there are two years of uh, renting this you know, using this Tyrus Hall as a, a teaching venue. Just imagine that five, six hours of teaching time directly from Apostle Paul. And the gospel exploded literally. That everywhere in that region, because of the impact of the Bible, and because impact of the gospel that Paul preached, experienced transformation. Churches were planted. And in in Ephesus, the, the cultural pride and the religious pride as well was the temple of Diana, the temple of Artemis. And the people stopped buying souvenirs, little idols, and that brought uh, persecution and suffering. But at that time that he was writing, all these things were happening in Ephesus. But he reminds them, you're not the only church and uh, relays to the greeting. All the churches in Asia send you greeting. So the first one is actually... The churches in Asia, in general, but he mentions this couple, Aquila and Prisca, and some of you remember in the uh, the Book of Acts, Doctor Luke prefers to to name her as a Priscilla. It's a variation. And I think the Priscilla is probably the most commonly used. But for whatever the reason, Paul, mentioning this couple, always mentions her Prisca. Prisca and Aquila. Who were they? They were very effective ministers, but they were not the apostles, they were not the teachers in public setting, but they were, in our terminology, they're lay people. Where do they found? Uh, Where do we found them? They started from Corinth, but when Paul was visiting in the the book of uh, the Apostle Paul's letter to Romans, mentions and Priscilla again. And then we found them in Ephesus. Versatile couple. And Priscilla seems to be, Priscilla seems to be very effective leader and worker. So maybe even a stronger uh, leader as well. So a lot of times uh, in Book of Acts the names will be switched. Priscilla and Aquila, like that, but Paul honors the probably the biblical headship and always mentioned Aquila and Priscilla. So what happened? Basically, this they're from Corinth and went to live in um, Rome. And uh, Roman Emperor Claudia had this bad taste in his mouth because the Jewish people are Abrupting, uh, probably a lot to do with the Jewish judaizers were hating the Christian movement, the, the, those who are following the way. So, anyway, he said, Okay, I'm done with it. The verdict was that his edict was basically have them be out of Rome. So that's why they came back to Corinth. And then after Corinth, and they went to Ephesus, and that's where Apostle Paul met them. Why would they meet them? Probably because they're so active in their ministry. But also, they were tent makers, leather leather handlers. The tent makers, uh, as a part of their living, and they must be good enough, the versatile to move everywhere they want to serve, wouldn't that be great? That that you are you have a um, skill set that you could move to anywhere. So they were really actually doing that. The prime example of our uh, need to really follow the examples like that. So Ephesus people probably introduce, oh Paul. You are actually doing the tent making as part of your self-supporting ministry. You should, you ought to meet Akilah and Priscilla. And they became a partner. And with so much affection and respect, Paul mentions them every letter. And they're every, everywhere too. After Paul left Ephesus, Apollos came to to Ephesus and began to teach incredible Old Testament scholar who converted to to follow Christ. So because of his newness to, to the way, the Christian life and Christian faith, some things were not correctly said. So there is a mentioning about Apollos pulled by Apollos was one of the most popular and, and tremendous speaker because of his eloquence. Even Corinth, Corinthians they wanted Apollos to come back right? But these lay people set them aside and taught them the gospel more correctly so that he could be more effective. That's an incredible thing. So, in Romans 16, verse 3 and 4 gives us a little bit bigger, a better and lightning, I mean the, the light on Prisca and Aquila. Paul writes, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life. To whom, not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Some of you will go through the Exodus st- study tonight, and and the part of the Exodus study reveals the the new covenant's better setting and wisdom and the benefit that we draw from, that we do not really need priest and mediator, human mediator at all, Christ becoming our eternal high priest. I think the implication, maybe I'm giving it away to to, to the leaders, but um, the implication is this Idea that lay people should not be lame people (laughs) that just do nothing. We ought to follow examples of Aquila and Prisca and their partnership with Paul and Paul's partnership with other churches. Do you realize? that so many of denominations and sects on our uh, Christian movement, you can be a saturnal vision about everything, about similar people and very same type of people, same type of ethnicity, same type of denomination only. And I say, the partnership for Christ, I wanted to actually say partnership for missional living, And then we need to unpack that at a glance, right? The mission of living is basically living for Christ and the gospel of Christ to be spread all the ends of the earth. How are we going to do that? The question that has come up very directly to us is who are my partners? Who am I intentionally cultivating partnership? That's one of the reasons why And boy and Cindy, Wade and Helen, Bob and Grace, as they come by, you should really get to know them, build relationship so that even they go back to, to where they're serving in the frontline mission field, that you will continually partner, that you are actually going with them to the uttermost ends of the earth, unreached people groups. Locally, I'm really proud of our home groups. And I get to rotate and, you know, basically visit every home group. And then each home group has a very distinctive flavor, and not only their style, but their, their food as well. <laughs> so I end up eating twice sometimes. Because, I, you know, coming home, there's another home group meeting. I'm grateful for many things. But one of the things that I'm grateful for is the home group people, home group members, love their home group community. Very manageable community. But, you know, all church retreat is coming up. Can I challenge you in this? That instead of having eternal vision, reach out, partner with other home groups, and Durwin will start our outreach program, outreach initiative, and that's going to be overall that we are partnering together to reach out to the people who are hurting, who are least and last in our community. There's one more thing. I'm grateful for the host. Because it takes so much of generosity and a lot of time to clean if you have kids and to bear the peoples coming in and out and it's a lot of work from today's standard it doesn't make sense to, for you to continue to do that but we are thankful for the servant hearts of every host in the home group communities and to even share with other taking turns. The partnering with other believers for Christ and for missional living, for the furtherance of gospel, is not doing Facebook or just talking to each other theoretically and theologically and reading the missional living articles. It is actually down to earth, in this locale, studying with the, the word that I actually hide uh, in the, from the slide is hospitality. So modern definition of hospitality is what? Ability to and desire to entertaining your guests. So we need to co- come out of that definition. So check this out. The biblical definition of hospitality is Receiving strangers as you would receive Christ, receiving strangers as you would receive your own family members, as our home group guests, home group hosts are doing. Obviously, stranger doesn't mean that everyone who's roaming around. Stranger meaning that brothers and sisters, they're in town. They're brothers and sisters but you don't know them personally. So would you be hospitable when our missionaries come, three missionary families swing by here? And would you intentionally cultivate that partnership and with, with one another? And let's follow the example of Prisca and Akula. A- 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 Lesson number two, affection for one another. This is very simple, straightforward, and became complicated because the people made it complicated. A Roman Catholic Church took that as a holy kiss as a part of the liturgy. So this is a time for holy kiss. And they kiss the saint and kiss you know, everything except Really the natural, organic, warm greeting with each other. And obviously, the cultural implication is that you've seen that the Italians will just... Three (laughs) times, right? Start with this side, but always come back to that. And a lot of times, it is just the family brotherly affection with each other it is not anything sexual at all because even this culture man to man and woman to woman will give to each other kiss but holy holy kiss is nothing anything liturgical but it is in Christ because we belong to Christ because we have same father so other verses like uh 1st Peter 5:14 greet one another with the kiss of love peace peace to all of you who are in Christ i know there are personality temperament differences some people are more uh physically affectionate some people are not <laughs> have you hugged someone people who feel like a you're you're hugging a tree (laughs) like that so this is is not anything that is um, mechanically done all Christians ought to do this at all but if you look at the general idea is you say brothers and sisters you are brothers and sisters in Christ through blood of Christ and that you belong to the same father. Act like it. Love one another. Not just with words, and tangible affectionate greeting. So affection is for brotherly love. Affection is also must be deliberate and active. Whenever I feel like it, it's not it. And for us, warm hugs are more fitting probably than kisses. Um, I still remember, some of you heard that story, so I won't repeat that story. But during my high school years, as a stranger into that town, just coming from Korea for about two months prior to that, My 10th grade, I didn't know it back then. In hindsight, I was going to a culture shop. I was the only Asian kid in every class. But I still remember the day turned around when a group of young Christian kids welcomed me. They hugged me in the name of Christ. Everywhere. So I I, I like hugging to begin with, but that hug was special to me. I still remember Rhonda, and that's why some of you ladies, um, I prefer hugging. So if you feel uncomfortable, I will adjust to you. We, We should do that, okay? Let me love you my way. It's not the Christian love. But I still remember everything melting away. The world was so stiff in, in me and I frozen in me and trying so hard. God was reaching out with warmth. And many brothers hugged me on a regular basis. Asians is a problem with that, because growing up you don't really hug and kisses you. I mean, some of the parents are different and unique, but mostly. But listen to me. If you're not a hugger, if you feel very uncomfortable, warm, firm shake would do. <laughs> not, nothing like a dead hand like this, right? And gentle smile, eye contact would do. But I say we need to start a movement of hugging with one another, at least for, for those of us who are comfortable. Number three lesson is sincere love. Paul in Romans 12 says that love must be genuine. Well, when Paul writes at the last things, think about this. Paul is concluding, but his love is sincere because he really cares for them so deeply enough to love them truthfully. This is not a, a person who's just throwing, okay, you, you, you just get this. Here's the truth. No, this is like the person who is hurting inside, aching inside. Because of the need that you see, an open rebuke is better than hidden love, Proverbs says. Why? Look at verse 21. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Isn't that kind of strange combination of sharp, very blunt, truthful things and his tender-hearted vulnerability? If you pay attention to 1 Corinthians, you will know that Paul loved them so dearly. He, he was the spiritual father. He planted the church. Many of them came to know Christ through Paul. And church started because of Paul. But because of all these false teachers and the hotshots and super apostles, they called it later, coming from Jerusalem with the recommendation letter. And they are the authentic. And they actually gave them kind of suspicion to so Paul is not one of the twelves, he's not the apostle so Paul had to defend himself so there was a lot of conflict tension going on and then second Corinthians reveals even more I love you more than you love me less make room he said in your heart for us I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm not just saying this. I'm going all the way with you guys. So now, what's this this about when Paul mentions uh, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed? This is why context is so important. He's not talking about unbelievers. He's not talking about people outside of church. We are to love them and we are to become one of them without compromising so that they could receive Christ as well. He's talking about the professing Christians in the church and namely the people who are troublemakers people who are causing divisions, people who are doing all the things that they should not do if they really love the Lord Jesus. And he's giving it to them one last time. And he comes back with this uh, saying, our Lord come. This is a difficult phrase because it's not Greek and other than, uh, I mean compared to other um, sentences here. He used Aramae. Maranatha. The Maranatha is kind of, you could translate in two different ways. Either the Lord has come or the Lord come. And most likely I think ESV translates like this. It reminds us at the end of Revelation when John the Apostle is saying, even so, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly. That's the idea. Why is he saying this? Because he's giving them warning. If anyone says who doesn't have, doesn't have the love for Christ, let him be cursed. So be careful, be warned, be watchful, because the Lord is coming soon, and at the same time he's asking, pleading, Lord come quickly that's the idea, but he also remembers the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, and my love be with you all in Christ Jesus why is he writing this? And we know that Paul has a terrible eyesight. And some people think that it, that's the thorn in his, in his side that he asks for healing. We don't know certainly. But he, we know that he couldn't write himself. So there is a person who is always writing down his words. But at the end of the letter, he would write in big letters to authenticate this is from me. right? So his heart is open. His heart is vulnerable. His heart is committed. And we ought to love sincerely as well. So those are the three lessons. Now, within the remainder of a few minutes, I want to go back and ask this question. What did Corinthian Christians misunderstood they thought that was that those things were spiritual, quite spiritual, but they're not and what are the lessons about the spirituality true spirituality let 's put it very simply what true spirituality is not, and what true spirituality is. Uh, Recollecting the studies in our 1st Corinthians series. Here's the first one. True spirituality is not syncretism. The syncretism is basically receiving and adding more things and mixing things. And the 1st Corinthians had a major problem. The Greek philosophy, human wisdom, worldly wisdom, they were so embedded in that, and the gospel came. The apostle came. They took that as Sophia, meaning wisdom. Another wisdom to adding to that. In our culture, it, this is so relevant to us. This is basically the what's going on in a popular uh, Christian books. Even that happens. Oprah Winfrey mentality that anything that sounds positive sounds to good, add into that. Of course, into the extreme sense, there's a universal church whose preaching and whose uh, sermons are the words of not only Jesus and Buddha and Gandhi and so many different things. But let's just zoom in in our life. What are things that we Without question, receive as a good things. Things that work. Pragmatic things. Pragmatism. Consumerism that we, in which we live made us so accustomed to, unless we, we open spiritual eyes wide, even in the churches. There's a syncretism happens. Even pastors. It's a part of business, part of your self-actualization. But at the same time, fulfilling the great commission. You can't mix those two things. But as I mentioned several times, like a frog in a kettle being slowly heated up, unless we become spiritually vigilant syncretism will happen that's why there were divisions that's why they were they thought that they're super christians number 2 spiritual true spirituality is not self improvement or self actualization more of me and i become stronger And more powerful. More gifted. Especially in that charismatic setting. The apostle Paul. Was mindful of the giftedness. Genuine giftedness. Spiritual gifts. But the supernatural miracle things were happening. And they thought. They have arrived. We might not have that type of. Pentecostal bend to it, but we could be the same thing that whether you are super smart, whether you're super artistic, whether you are good at any kind of skill set, the Christian life is not about us. It's not being better about something, it's a surrendering ourselves and denying ourselves so that more of God more of Christ happens and less of me number four and last one is a rugged individualism independence what is the true mark of cool guy really cool guy John Wayne he doesn't need anyone well, he's a cool woman, strong woman who could stand alone. Maybe your picture is not uh, uh, G.I. Joe Jane. But in a work setting, in a person, in a, uh, career-wise, that woman is strong enough. She doesn't put up with any discrimination, put up with, put up with any kind of uh, lesser than any other man's. But not only that, in Christian life if you seek pseudo-spirituality you become so powerful you, you, you sound like, a lot of televangelists Sounds like it, right? They don't need anyone. But the true spirituality is actually all about living as a part of the body, member of the body interdependence is greater than independence. So flip side of that. What is true spirituality? True spirituality is in one word love. Paul mentions it's not the knowledge. It's not the gift. It's not who speaks better. Who has more spiritual gifts. It is 1 Corinthians 13. Show me who is more patient and. Kind, show me who is continually endure all things, hopes all things, bears all things. I will show you, Paul says, who is Christ-like, who is godly, who is truly spiritual. This is a very difficult one, but a very important one. Think about our, our lives. Some of you have more Bible knowledge. Some of you are more active in serving and somewhere volunteering. And somewhere, some, some of you are continually devote yourself giving sacrificially. But all that is a component of a loving person. But without loving heart, loving character, these becomes pseudo-spirituality. And it dawned on me. What is spiritual church? Many of you, uh, to my delight, said, the reason why I like about crossways Pastor Paul, you teach Bible. It sounds kind of oxymoron. You know, shouldn't all the pastors teach Bible? In our days, it's a kind of fading away. and compromise happens. A relevant, more inspirational message is more popular. So we are committed to the scripture guidance. But if you say, because our Bible, our, our Bible teaching church and our doctrine is sound, our church is spiritual, Listen to Paul. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The more you become a truly spiritual person, the more you become humble. Because Christ was humble. See so the idea of a self accomplishment or self actualization. In a pragmatic sense, it is good, but in true spirituality, it's actually embracing our weaknesses. And many of you feel broken, right? And we pray for Elgin and Christina and their families broken, weak. You know, Brian and Hyojong, and my brother's family. But in that weakness, God's Power is perfected. Paul is saying, I came with trembling. I decided not to use my skill sets and even my personality, but that you would see the demonstration of power of the Spirit. The true spirituality is not person who is so self-confident, but who is humble enough to continually, constantly surrender that you see God's work, you see Jesus' personality, Jesus' character in him. If so, then obviously we are going to seek to build up others. Third point. But seek to build up others, we need to clarify on that as well because seeking to build others is not hand out. I'm more powerful. I know more. I'm more rich. I'm richer than you. So here's my help. No. What did Paul do? his surrender, his rights, his privileges as apostles. And he actually surrendered whatever that belongs to him that he could actually enjoy for the sake of others. That's the true maturity. So in seeking to build others, it's not the Western mentality that, oh, I need to take care of myself first, and everything's fine, and our kids are, you know, fed and everything. And then if there's a little leftover, I'm going to build others. The time-wise, same thing. The way that your emotional energy is, you the same thing. You surrender. You give up. How will we do that? Unless we live out what we believe and hope in Christ in a true sense rather than there is a chasm and incongruence between what we say we believe and how we live. Christ has died and he was risen again that he will come again and he will bring our bodies in a twinkling of eyes Changed body. Resurrection body. So we face cancer. We face difficulties. We face trials. we We face financial problems. We face teenage problems. Marital problems. But we could hold on to the faith and hope and live it out. And Jeannie's story, so well-fitting. When we actually let go of you to grip and surrender your rights and your control to Christ, the first thing that you will experience, I guarantee, joy. Type of joy that you will never experience by trying hard, by gaining more things but work of the Holy Spirit, God's work will give you joy. I conclude with this quote. Uh, Eugene Peterson is kind of revealing things, and part of his writing was uh, instrumental in my paradigm shift as well. Uh, This is the, the combination of two quotes, and one is his interview, one is the book titled, entitled, "The Jesus Way." He writes, "One way to define spiritual life is getting so tired and fed up with yourself, you go on to something better, which is following Jesus. But the minute you start advertising the faith in the name of the benefits, we are just ex- excavating the solved problem." With Christ, you're better, stronger, more likable. You enjoy more ecstasy, but it's some—it's just some—it's just more self. Instead, we want to get people bored with themselves so they can start looking at Jesus. We've all met a certain type of spiritual person. She's wonderful person. She loves the Lord. She prays and reads the Bible all the time. But all she thinks about is herself. She's not a selfish person, but she is always at the center of everything she's doing. How can I witness better? How can I do this better? How can I take care of this person's problem better? It's me, me, me disguised in a way that is difficult to see because her spiritual talk disarms us or his spiritual talks disarms us. The cultivation of consumer spirituality is the antithesis of a sacrificial deny-yourself congregation. Um, there are some people who are sitting in this congregation uh, who saw part of this tendency that I turned away from And back in my previous ministry, as a, my admin assistant or coworkers or people reported to me, it's all jumbled up. And as we start this church, my commitment was, Lord, this church will be about you. So whether it goes better, close the door, it doesn't affect me. Theoretically, that sounds so cool, right? So most of the time I'm very relaxed and I spend time with our kids a lot and I don't, I don't overwork at all these days. But my confession is, just because I made a decision, that doesn't go away. I need to constantly think about the, the world's evaluation of successful pastor. And then you know how it is. Male ego is usually connected, directly connected with your work and result of your work. Unless I pay attention to Jesus and true spirituality, I'm going to be worried that church is small. I'm going to be worried that our church is not changing fast enough and all that. Okay, turn the table around. How about you? Are you experiencing true spirituality? If so, you will find joy in the center of it, in the bubbling and deep in your heart because God is working, because there is a surrendering of yourself rather than more of yourself. And my prayer for our church is that our church is so relaxed about becoming a better organization. And it's okay that whenever you Google our church's name, that you, don't, you never get our, our church's name. <laughs> All the wrong crossways pop up. I did that myself. But if more of Christ and less of me, less of us, we are getting the message of the First Corinthians series. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for Uh, This powerful letter, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who inspired these words that penetrate our hearts. Our prayer today is that you will make us vigilant and not to become like one of those frogs being slowly heated up. And teach us to hold on to scripture and scripture guidance. That we might know what it means to truly spiritual in everyday life. We pray all these things in gratitude. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.